Oh, thank you, everybody. You're so kind. I sure miss you guys. I sure miss being around here. So for those of you that I know, it's good to see your faces again. For those of you that are new and I haven't known, it's welcome to my favorite place in the world. I love North Central more than anything. Um, my husband, Jeff, that guy. We met here 27 years ago. And um, yeah, I know, he was the cute guy leading praise gathering from the piano. And every time he comes out, I get all Twitter-pated. Every time I see him up here on this stage in the piano. Um, but we love North Central, we love you. I want you to know how much Jeff and I believe in you, how much we believe in this place, how much we pray, invest time and energy. And so we just always want you to know that you have got people in your corner cheering you on. And I really mean that. Um, we believe in what God is able to do in and through you. And we believe that the future is incredibly bright when we see your faces. And so it's such an honor to be with you today. I wanted to take the time and share a little bit about a message that uh, is coming out of uh, something that we've been studying at our church. So over the last few months, we've been looking at the book of Daniel. And it's been really challenging to our church family because we've been talking about this idea of how do we live out our faith in culture? Anybody ever struggle with that? How do you live out your faith in a culture that at best is indifferent to the things that you believe in and at worst is hostile to the things that you believe in, right? And so we have been just taking the time as a church to just ask this question, how do we do this? How do we live out our life? How do we live out our faith in culture in a way that is honoring to God and yet standing up for what we're believing in? And so we've been looking at the life of Daniel and his friends, and I thought I'd share a bit about that today. We were looking at the story in scripture about how Daniel and his friends are taken from their homeland, where everything was kind of created and cultivated in a way that made it easy for them to practice their faith. Everyone around them was practicing their faith. There was the temple. There were all these different cultural things that were happening. And through the conquering of Jerusalem, Daniel and his friends are picked up out of their culture, and they're moved into this new culture where everything is different. The gods that are served are different than their gods. The way that they practice religion is different. Everything about it is different. And these young men are finding themselves challenged of how do they maintain their identity as the people of God within a culture that doesn't understand what they believe in, and it sometimes is even hostile to what they believe in. And I think this is important for us, right? Because I know for me, I want to be faithful in culture. I want to be faithful to maintain my identity as a child of God, to represent God well, and sometimes that's really hard to know how to do in a culture, right? I think um, how we do that is very important because Daniel tells us that as soon as these young men were carried off into Babylon, that they resolved in their hearts that they were going to stand up for what they believed in. Now, I know looking at a room like this, how many of you are resolved in your heart? I'm going to honor the Lord with my... Oh, good, two of you. Excellent. Well, the future's bright, like I said. <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay. I know that. You're not listening. Okay. I have teenagers. It's fine. I understand. I want to be resolved in my heart, too. My question for you today is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because I know for me, I don't really know how to do that sometimes. Here are three ways that I think how many, how some of us resolve in our hearts and how we act that out. I think some people simply remove themselves from culture. 
right? I'm just going to remove myself. I think when I was your age and I had friends that didn't believe like I did, I didn't know what to do. So really, the only tool I had in my tool belt was like, I think I can't be your friend anymore. I had to remove myself because it might get on me, right? Sometimes we make ourselves a little Christian bubble where we're safe from culture. We don't have to engage with culture because we think this is going to help me maintain my devoutness, my identity as a follower of Christ because I have removed myself completely from culture. Some people, a second way, is they become antagonistic towards culture. They view culture as their enemy, and it becomes a battleground that must be fought with angry words and confrontation. We take an us versus them mentality, and we view ourselves as under attack, We're under attack, and so we have to draw our swords and engage with culture in a way that's combative. Anybody know anybody that engages with culture like that in a way to try and maintain their faith? Yeah. And then some people simply just don't know how to do it, and so they kind of find this lukewarm middle. They could appear to be on either side. If they're with culture, they can kind of like, I can kind of absolve in here. I can kind of be like this. I can be like that. When they're around the Babylonians, they behave like the Babylonians. When they're with the Jews, they behave like the Jews. They're apathetic about their role, and they just simply want to avoid the conflict. And so they kind of just ride the middle. And today what I want to show you and what we're going to see in scriptures is that Daniel didn't do any of those three things. Daniel didn't remove himself from culture. He didn't put himself in a bubble and stop engaging with them. We can see that clearly. He had prominent position within culture. And also, Daniel was an antagonistic towards culture. We're going to look at how Daniel engaged when he had the opportunity to speak to culture. And we also see that he spoke the word of the Lord. He didn't just blend in. When the time came for him to speak truth, he was able to do that. So here are some questions I want us to ask today as we're going to look at a number of scriptures. How did Daniel do it? How did Daniel engage with culture? What attitudes did he display in these interactions? What was his tone and manner? Because tone matters, right? Do you know that? Your tone matters. How was Daniel perceived in this culture? And how did this approach allow him to maintain his influence while still being resolved and determined to live for God and honor him? Because what's fascinating to me is that the text shows us not just that Daniel resolved in his heart. It shows us how he did it. And so I want to look at four interactions today. So I'm going to go real fast. Four interactions that are recorded in Scripture. And we're going to look at how Daniel handled each one of these situations. And I want you to go past just the, the initial thing. And I want you to look at how Daniel did it. His tone, his attitude, and his manner. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1, this first interaction. Daniel and his friends are brought into the king's court to be indoctrinated and taught the language and the literature of Babylon. They're brought in with all of the other leaders, and they're saying, we're going to teach you now all about our culture, the language and the literature of Babylon. So look at these few interactions that Daniel has in this first story. Daniel 1.8 says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Already, think about tone, think about manner. He asked for permission. Okay, let's move on. Daniel 1.17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. 
And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So let's stop here. What were they learning? The language and the literature of Babylon. Did they refuse to learn the language and the literature of Babylon? It's not a trick question. You can answer. No, they didn't, right? They seem to be able to discern what to accept and what to reject. They were able to learn what they needed to and yet also know what they should not engage in. They knew what to stand up against and what to embrace. It's interesting, they were not sheltered from this new culture. They didn't stop over here and say, sorry, we're not going to learn anything about our culture. Because what would have happened if they had done that? They never would have gained the prominence that they had gained. They became the leaders because of the way that they knew the culture. Okay, that's confusing. I thought I wasn't supposed to be a part of the culture. Well, I'm here today to tell you that it is possible from this text to show us that you can have a discerning spirit while you engage in culture. You can have critical thinking skills coupled with the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life and hear what someone else is teaching as truth and be able to say, I understand that, but that's not what I believe. You are able to do that. You can engage with culture without becoming a part of culture. I think sometimes we're afraid to do that. We're tempted to just keep hiding in our Christian bubble and remove ourselves outside of culture. But listen to me today. I want to tell you, you are able to discern culture. You have the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You are able to hear the voice of the God say, no, not this. You are able to hear God speak to you. You don't have to be afraid. The spirit of God is inside of you. You have wisdom and discernment and knowledge. You are able to hear things and say, that's not true. You are able to hear things and say, that's not what the Bible says. You are able to discern culture. This is what we taught our kids early on. Because when you become a parent, this becomes a very big deal. Because you're like, man, I want my kids to love Jesus, stand up for what they believe in, but I don't want them to be jerks, right? You don't want your kid in, on the playground being like, oh, that's what your family's like, right? So we talked a lot about how do we do this? How do we teach our kids to engage in culture? And here is something I read a long time ago, is you need to create little boxes for yourself, little boxes that are true and true. What the Bible says, what the Bible doesn't say. And with our kids, we'd say what the curs believe, what the curs don't believe. When you encounter anything in media, from a teacher, from a leader, from a pastor, from a friend, from anything, you stop and you sort that into the right box. Is that true or is that untrue? Is that what the Bible says or is that not what the Bible says? Is that what the curs believe or not what the curs believe? And you start to, when things come at you, not be afraid, but take the discerning of the Holy Spirit coupled with critical thinking skills and you start sorting it out. And that will help you stay defined as a person of God in the midst of a culture that is going to tell you all kinds of stuff that is absolutely true. And you have the ability through the Holy Spirit to discern what's true and not true. Amen? Amen. So that's the first thing. Daniel learned the language and the literature of Babylon, but he did not let it get inside of him. Number two, in Daniel chapter two, three years later, Daniel would have been about 21 years old. Who's 21 in the room? Awesome. So this, like, yeah, I got that. Way to go, man. Way to go being 21. 
He would have been 21 years old. So I want you to think about this, the amount of pressure this guy is on, and he is still very young. We see this other interaction. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and all of his astrologers, magicians, and wise men couldn't interpret the dream. And the king is furious at this. And at this point, Daniel and his friends are among these people who are supposed to help interpret the dreams. So the king makes a decree for all the wise men in Babylon to be executed. And this would include Daniel, and this would include his friends. So look what it says in Daniel chapter 2. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find Daniel and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to him, Daniel handled the situation with what? Say it with me. Wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened, and Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to find out what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends what had happened. He urged them to ask God to show them mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and Daniel praised the God of heaven. So first we see Daniel use wisdom and discretion. Wisdom means that he was thoughtful about his next steps. Discretion to me says that he wasn't reactionary, but he allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to him in the moment about how to handle himself. Now, let me ask you this question. When you find yourself in a difficult situation in culture, when a friend comes back at you, when you see a post on social media, when somebody says something to you that you're not quite sure how to handle, how many of you would say that you stop and you handle it with wisdom and discretion? Yeah, me neither. I just get ticked off, right? I think most of us respond with impulse and reaction. We think, I got to say something. I got to stand up for something. And so what comes out is harsh. What comes out is accusatory. What comes out is, is not wise and it's not discerning. But what if you and I start to use Daniel's example as a blueprint for handling difficult situations when we face things in culture that we don't believe in? Staying calm, not becoming reactionary. And simply inquiring of the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to say anything until I hear from you. How do I handle this? What do I say? When you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table at dinner in a few weeks, somebody says something and you're going, oh man, I want to react. I just want to say something. What if instead you stopped and said, Lord, give me wisdom and discretion because I want to know how to handle this the right way. So God reveals the secret of the dream to Daniel, and he goes before the king to share this information. Verse 25 says, Ariat quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of this dream. And the king said to Daniel, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it meant? And Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events, and he who reveals secrets has shown you what's going to happen. And it's not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Can you see how Daniel discerns that moment to speak to the king of God 
Not only is he able to reveal the secret, but look what he says. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, God is trying to talk to you. Nebuchadnezzar, do you understand that the God who knows everything, he's reaching out to you, he's speaking to you. Do you see in that moment how Daniel uses his influence to highlight the amazing attributes of who God was? What an incredible moment. Can you sense the tone of this interaction? He doesn't berate the king. He doesn't hide the truth from the king. He speaks clearly and calmly about who his God is. So often, you and I never get to that moment. We never get to the moment where we're standing in front of the king, able to say what we want. Why? Because we lost the battle at the door. When they show up and we don't respond with wisdom and discretion. So in that moment when you think, ah, I want to say something. I want to say something harsh. I want to lash out. Stop and think, okay, Lord, give me wisdom and discretion. Because when, when we surrender ourselves to Christ, he will open up the doors. And he will allow us the moment to say things in the appropriate way, in a way that gives glory and honor to God. Let's look at another interaction. Daniel chapter 4. The king has yet another dream, and he sends for Daniel to interpret its meaning. Now, this time, Daniel receives the interpretation, and he is scared to death because this is not good news for King Nebuchadnezzar. Basically, the dream means that Nebuchadnezzar is going to become insane, is going to be driven from society for a season, and he, until he learns that God is sovereign, and he, God wants Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge him as God. So here are a couple of verses from this story where we see Daniel's response when he's called before the king to interpret the dream. Daniel 4.19 says, Upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of this dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Daniel replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. Then Daniel tells him what the dream means and what's going to happen. And then he replies again, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor, and perhaps then you will continue to prosper. First, notice a couple of things about Daniel's response to the king. First of all, he is incredibly brave. How do you love to give bad news? That is not my favorite thing. But we see him not back away from it. We see him speak the truth. We see him give the fullness of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And we see that he has bravery in able, being able to speak the truth when it's required. But more than that, I want you to look deeper. And I want you to look at Daniel's tone with the king. Look at the tone he has with the king. He's kind. He's loving. He's merciful. He speaks with genuine care for Nebuchadnezzar's well-being. He says, well, my king, I wish this would happen to someone else but you. Now, let's remember, this is the king who has ripped Daniel away from his homeland and enslaved his people. This is his enemy. And yet we see him when he gets word of judgment coming towards the very people that harmed him. He says, oh, my king, I wish this would happen to someone else but you. Please listen to God so that you can avoid this judgment. Please repent. Please return from your sin. We don't see even a glint of joy in the fact that judgment is coming to this king who has enslaved him. We don't see any I told you so's. We don't see any you're finally getting what's coming to you's. 
but a genuine care and concern and desire to see him turn to the ways of God. We have to ask ourselves, how would we respond in that moment when you get the word that your enemy's going down? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? Do we rejoice at the demise of others? Do we gloat in our rightness in the face of someone else's misfortune? Or can we show genuine love and compassion to all people, knowing that God loves all people, even the ones that don't know him yet, and even the ones that behave in a way that shows that they don't know him yet, and know that God is reaching out and wants to see all. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Does our anger override our sense of love for others? Ephesians 4.15, we all know this verse. that says, instead, speaking the truth in love will become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head, that's Christ. This tells us that when we speak the truth in love, it shows our maturity. Now, we all like to throw this verse around when we're being jerks. Right? Come on, you can admit that. Sometimes I'm, I'm just speaking the truth in love. But are we, Right? I think Daniel's interaction here needs to be the new gold standard for us when we are speaking truthfully in love. Because Daniel spoke with kindness and compassion and love to his worst enemy with a heart that genuinely wanted to see him repent and come to salvation. All right, here's the last story, Daniel chapter 5. The writing on the wall. Daniel is now 83 years old. So... We're talking about he's come to Babylon probably around 18, 19, somewhere around then. He's been here this whole time. So the story of the Daniel in the lion's den, the writing on the wall, this happens when he's about 83. So this is a, a book spanning the lifetime of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the king of Babylon. There's a new king named Belshazzar, and Belshazzar has ushered in a whole new level of violence and debauchery into the kingdom. And one night during a drunken party, he gives the orders to have the gold and silver cups that were taken from the temple when Jerusalem was conquered. And so these holy sacred objects are brought into this party and they're using them to drink out of, to praise their own gods and idols. It was the ultimate show of dishonor and disrespect towards the things of God. And Daniel 5 tells us what happens. It says, suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. So first of all, God clearly knows how to defend himself. Unless <laughs> sometimes we think, but I gotta say, God clearly knows how to defend himself, right? Can you imagine that moment when the hand starts writing on the wall? And the king asks the magicians and astrologers to interpret the message, but no one can tell the king what it means, and they're all terrified. No one knows what to do. And everyone's scared, and they don't know who to turn to. But look at what happens next in Daniel chapter 5, verse 10. But when the queen mother heard what was happening, she hurried to the banquet hall, and she said to Belshazzar, Long live the king. Don't be so pale and frightened, for there is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, this man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. 
your predecessor, the king, made him chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers. This man, Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel. He will tell you what the writing means. So in this incredibly pagan, godless society, a moment of reckoning has come, and the people are scared. They don't know what to do. They're like, oh, we went a little too far, I think. And in that moment, Daniel's reputation goes before him. This text tells us that Belshazzar doesn't know who Daniel is. Sometime during that 62-year break from when we last heard of him till now, somehow Daniel has moved into the background. Belshazzar doesn't know who he is. And yet, the queen mother remembers the interactions that he had with Nebuchadnezzar. I guess she remembered his tone and his manner and his kindness and compassion towards the king. And so she comes and she remembers, she remembers he was full of the spirit of God. She remembers the way that he interacted and so he's called upon. And Daniel is able to deliver God's message that because of his disrespect and arrogance, God was going to remove the kingdom from his hands. And that very night, Belshazzar was killed. But I think it's important to look at the timeline here because we're talking about a long time, right? This is a story about a lifetime of faithfulness. There's 62 years of faithfulness where Daniel's just there. And if we were going to do a deeper dive, we'd see that in those 62 years, Daniel's praying. That's a whole other sermon. But he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying. And God is using him in lots of different ways. But in this moment, when the writing's on the wall and everyone is terrified, Daniel's called back into the king's court. And another season begins of leadership and influence. He's promoted once again. The story of Daniel is one of faithfulness and longevity. Whatever season he's been in, he's been faithful. And when the moment comes, when the people are looking to who do we go to, Daniel's name is remembered. Daniel teaches us that engaging with culture requires the long game. It requires the long game. Some of you have family members that are totally different as far as their worldview than yours. And I know sometimes you're sitting there and you're wanting to get it all out right now and say all the things and tell them all the stuff. But engaging with culture means you play the long game. It means sometimes you just listen. Sometimes you just pray. Every time you speak with kindness so that when the crisis comes, you're the person they call. Let me tell you, we have a lot of people in our church that believe a lot of different things from me. And we have a lot of very interesting conversations. But my favorite is when I get a call from somebody and says, you know, I don't agree with you on a whole lot of stuff, but the bottom just fell out of my life. And I knew I could talk to you. I knew I could call you. I knew you would be kind, even though I know maybe I've made a mess of my own life. Maybe I I know we don't agree on this. Because I'm playing the long game with people. I want them to know Christ. I don't want to win an argument. So the wisdom and discretion in how we engage with culture gives us the voice in the moment where somebody's ready to hear. And God will open the door for you to be able to speak truth and love. Daniel shows us we need to play the long game. 
You might not see results right away. You may get tired of living in a culture that seems against everything that you hold closest to you. You might want to throw up your hands and just hope they get what they deserve. But Daniel remained faithful day after day, deeply committed to his God and ready to serve whenever called upon. So what did we learn from Daniel today? We learned that we can engage with culture without becoming a part of culture. Be discerning. Be discerning. Your generation faces more opposition to your faith than I think I've ever seen in my lifetime. But you don't need to be afraid. The Spirit of God in you is strong. You are wise. You are discerning. Listen to how the Spirit speaks to you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God will give you the courage to say what you need to say, the courage to stand. You can engage in culture without becoming a part of it. We learn that interactions with a hostile culture require wisdom and discernment. Reactivity, aggression, and hostility will get you nowhere. But if you pause and let the Lord guide you and speak with discernment, then you can represent God to a culture that does not know him. Number three, Daniel genuinely loved and cared for those who were in the culture. He did not rejoice in the downfall of his enemies. But his tone was one of compassion and empathy. And even though he spoke the truth, he did so with a heart of redemption. He genuinely wanted his enemies to come to know God. And lastly, faithfulness requires longevity. There might be seasons where you have influence and voice, and there might be seasons where you just pray, downloading wisdom and discernment from the Lord. But God will always open doors when the time is right. Why? Because he knows you can be trusted. And so as we wrap up today, we got two minutes. I think it's important that we take a minute and evaluate, look at our own hearts, not just if we're resolved, because I think all of us know, man, I want to honor God with my life. But hopefully take some of these tools now and ask the Lord to show you, God, where am I kind of maybe getting this wrong? You know, sometimes this, this idea of loving those that disagree with me, that's hard. I got to bring that to the Lord. That's hard. When people disregard what you hold dearest, it's hard to keep your heart soft towards that. And some of you, maybe you come from a family where your faith is ridiculed. I'm so sorry that that's that's hard. But the Spirit of God can pour love. Man, Christianity's when it says love your enemies, that is real business. That is hard stuff. But it's what we're called to do. So I just want us to take a few moments and ask yourself how you're engaging with culture. What's your tone? What's your attitude? Let's just let God reveal the truth of our hearts for a minute. So why don't we bow our heads? Just always want to take a couple minutes of reflection. Lord, I open up my heart to you. Show me the places where I'm doing this well. Show me the places that I'm not. Father, I thank you that your word even tells us that we are drawn to you through your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And Lord, sometimes we can feel our hearts getting hard when we're in a culture that seems to be against the things that we hold dearest. Or sometimes we feel ourselves pulling back and thinking, it would just be easier if I'm only around people that believe like me. 
So we start pulling away, and in the midst, we lose any influence to those that don't know you. And Lord, sometimes we feel ourselves just coming into the middle and becoming apathetic towards truth, becoming lukewarm in our faith. Lord, we want to stand fully and foremost in honoring you in everything we say and do. And so, Lord, I just pray today that you gives us wisdom and discernment, just like you gave Daniel. That, Lord, as we engage today with culture, of people at work, people in our families, friends, people we deal with, I'm asking that in those moments, Father, you would give us the wisdom and discernment to know how to engage in a way that points people always back to you, to your loving kindness and your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody together said, amen, amen. If you want to come up and pray, feel free to do so. Otherwise, have a great week.